As we continue our summer series going through the whole book of 1 John, walking with Jesus through 1 John, today John is going to talk, hold before us two prototypes. Two prototypes that still serve as an example for us. When you think of prototypes, I'm going to give you some examples. Who comes to mind? How about this one? What's the prototype of a winning quarterback? Probably Brady, right? Seven rings, that's quite an accomplishment. Uh, humble Lions fan, I don't think even any Bears fans said Jay Cutler, <laughs> right? I heard his nickname was 50 Cent because he was good for two quarters. Uh, prototype. What's the prototype for a doll? If you think of a doll in this country, what probably comes to mind? Okay, cabbage. I was thinking Barbie, just generational, long time staple. Any campers, any wilderness people, any RVers. What's the prototype for a luxury camper? The Airstream, right? Those silver bullet pull-behinds. Or what about the prototype for wealth for a very rich individual? Rockefeller, maybe Musk, Jobs, Buffett, there are many different kinds of prototypes, and John has two for us again this morning. The first prototype in our text is what Christian love is not. It's a very clear negative example for the church, and then he follows that up a couple verses later by who the example of Christian love is. Let's start with the negative prototype. John says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain. He was of the evil one and slew his brother Abel. And why did Cain slay him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Cain, from Genesis 4 even to this day, is prototype in the Bible. He's the poster child for anger, hatred, murder, and evil. How does the Bible begin? In Genesis 1 and 2, who is not there? It is God and his perfect new creation and his children, Adam and Eve. At the end of the Bible, the last two chapters in Revelation 21 and 22, who's not there? It is only God and his brand new creation, and all the sons and daughters of the king. 
But from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, the middle chapters, who is wreaking havoc? Fighting against God and his creation and those who are dearest to him. Satan. But the Bible begins and ends the same way. Where he will not be. But Genesis 3, Satan gets the first generation of humanity. Gets Adam and Eve to fall into sin. And then in Genesis 4, Satan is right there at work attacking the second generation of humanity. Their son, Cain. In Genesis 4, we are told that both brothers, one is a farmer, one is a herder. Both brothers, after a number of days, bring offerings to the Lord. Cain brings from the fruit of the ground. Abel brings from the firstborn of his flocks and of their fat, meaning the first and the best. We're then told that God does not look with favor on Cain's offering, but he does gaze with regard towards Abel's. And I know to us at the human level that can seem unfair of God. If both brothers brought offerings to the Lord, why would God smile on Abel's but not smile on Cain's? The Bible answers that for us in Hebrews 11 where we're told that Abel brought his offering to the Lord in faith. But Cain had this anger, this hatred, this bitterness towards his brother boiling up in his soul. And Satan saw that opportune moment and Satan pounced. And one day in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him in cold blood. There's an irony there. Abel did what was right. In faith, his offering was righteous. And yet for doing what was right... He was the object of great hatred and scorn and opposition. John goes on to say that we can expect that same irony from this world. He says, do not marvel, brothers, if this world hates you. Right? Even though we, like Abel, by righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, do righteous deeds in this world, this world is still going to hate us even though we do right. He continues, we know that we have passed over from death to life for we are loving the brethren. The one who is not loving remains in death. Everyone who is hating his brother is a murderer, and we know that a murderer does not have eternal life remaining in him. John transitions from Cain now to remind us that just like Abel, this world will also oppose, reject, and oppress 
us. The world's actions are a window to this world's spiritual condition. That it is dead to Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. So even though that is going to be the dynamic between the world and the church, John says there's a whole different dynamic in the church. And when John in his readings today is using the word brethren and loving the brethren, he's talking about those inside the church. There are other places in the Bible that talk about loving others, including our enemies. But John's focus in this epistle, when he's talking about loving one another, it's loving others inside the church. This is such an emphatic point for John in this short letter that he mentions it five times in just these five chapters. This is the first of those five. The distinguishing characteristic of the church of Jesus Christ in this world is our love for one another. And now he holds before us the prototype of that love. Verse 16, by this we know love. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ourselves ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In the kingdoms of this world, many operate by you protect the king at all costs. With ancient armies, very, very rarely would the king ever go out to battle in front and lead the charge. Rather, the king would likely be near the back, probably from a hill or elevated area where he could continue to observe the whole field of battle and then direct the officers on how to proceed. Just like the king would be put up in a castle and surrounded by the best knights or guards or soldiers, you do whatever you can to protect the king. Any of you ever play chess, the board game chess? Dabbled with it a little bit as a youth, wasn't very good, I was an easy opponent. But one of the things I remember strategically about the game of chess is you protect the king at all cost. In God's kingdom, he turns that on its head. And it is actually the king himself who comes down. And it is the king who willingly pays the king's ransom, laying down his own life for the life of his people. And just on that cross, when Satan thought he had the king in checkmate, on Easter morning, the king had another move. 
and Jesus rose. John says that's the prototype of Christian love in the church. That Christian love is not sentiment. Christian love at its core is not idle talk or these warm, fuzzy feelings. Christian love is not tolerance or moral indifference in today's world. Rather, Christian love could be defined as commitment. Jesus' love for you was so committed that he would willingly, as the king, come and lay down his life for yours. And John says, that's the prototype of our level of love and commitment to one another. That we too would even be willing to lay down our lives for a fellow Christian sister or brother. In other words, what John is saying here, here's what this love looks like in day-to-day -day life. John says, whoever has the world's goods. How many in here have the world's goods? Every one of us came into this world the same way, with a bare bottom. Anyone have more than a bare bottom right now? House, home, car, bank accounts, IRAs, wardrobes bigger than we truly need. Which color of shoes am I going to put on today to match my outfits? Whoever has the world's goods and sees his Christian brother having a need, yet shuts his heart from him. The Greek word there for heart is actually spleen. The gut, the seat level of your compassion and affection for others. Whoever shuts off his spleen from him. He says, how is the love of God abiding in him? He says, little children, let us not just love by mouth or tongue. But let us love in the church, in deed, and in truth. Other words, to love one another as our King has loved us. John says, be the remedy. If you see a Christian brother or sister in need, be the remedy yourself. Don't wait or hope that someone else will come along if it's in our means to serve and meet that need. Don't just wish them well and I hope things get better for you. And I'll say a prayer. That's important. But Christian love looks like this. Be the remedy as Jesus was the remedy for each of us. And this is not just a New Testament idea with Jesus. 
But remember that the same God is the same God in both testaments, and God does not change. When the Israelites were about to enter the greatest land that they could inherit on this earth, the land of Canaan, and they didn't earn it, and they certainly didn't deserve it. It was God's pure grace to his people. Before they crossed over the Jordan River into that land, God gave them these instructions through Moses. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers inside, in any of your towns in the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall indeed open your hand to him and surely give him enough for his need and whatever is lacking to him. Same God. Both Testaments. Same call to be the remedy as we follow the steps of our king. It didn't take long for me to start a list of just some of the ways already in my three years at St. Peter that I have seen you being the remedy for those in the church. For example, I thought of the food and school supply drive for Good Shepherd Christian Academy in the city. You are being the remedy. Or what about opening our facilities? We have a Korean church that uses our space this morning on that side of the building. And then after this service, we have a Hispanic congregation that uses this space. Both of them working to reach those in their own ethnic circles with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is St. Peter being the remedy. Or I believe next week is the mission trip to our school in South Africa and collecting goods even in our school chapels and stuff to help bless the Christians in their work there. That is being the remedy our monthly mission offerings, whether it was Link, whether it was through mission work at Marquette University in Wisconsin, whether it's this one, Hope for the Second Generation, or Voices of Care, St. Peter, that is being the remedy that is loving, not just in word or tongue, but in action and in truth. And as the Holy Spirit continues to work in and through all of you, this is evidence that Jesus Christ lives and he is abiding in you. And you are abiding in him. Amen.